Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to the Mad Scientist Financial Independence Podcast, the podcast where I get inside the brains of some of the best and brightest in the personal finance space to find out how they achieved financial independence. I'm excited to introduce my guests today, but before I do, I just wanted to thank everybody out there who left a iTunes review. Um, there was a lot of great feedback, and I really enjoyed reading through all the comments, so thank you very much to everyone who did leave a review. Um, we haven't reached the 200 review goal yet. We're only about 30 short now, which is amazing. Um but yeah, if you uh, if you haven't left a review yet and you want to have two shows per month for the rest of the year, um, head over to iTunes now and I'll put a link in the show notes and you can uh, leave me a review there. And then as soon as we get above 200 reviews, I'll, uh, I'll start doing two a month. So uh, anyway, uh, this month's guest uh, is Justin from rootofgood.com. I actually interviewed him back in February when I was being very productive and uh, I front loaded all of my interviews for the year. Um, so this one's uh, taken a while to get out there, but I'm really excited to release it. Um, Justin's been blogging over at Root of Good uh, just probably almost as long as I have been. Uh, I think he came out maybe a year or so later, but um, uh, he's been retired for a good few years now. And his wife is uh, just joined him in retirement, which is really exciting because uh, she had eventually worked herself into a job that she couldn't quit either. So I'm excited to find out about how she was eventually able to pull the trigger and uh, quit her job. So let's get right into it. And uh, Justin, thanks a lot for being here. I really appreciate it. Thanks a lot, Mr. Mad Scientist. <laughs> Thanks. Um, so yeah, so if I, maybe somebody doesn't out, somebody out there doesn't know about Root of Good, uh, could you just yeah, tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, sure. Uh, so my name is Justin. Um, I, um, like Brandon mentioned, I have a website, rootofgood.com. So I, I talk about financial independence and early retirement at that blog and uh, particularly my own journey, but also um, just general advice on um how we got there and, and uh, savings rates and withdrawal strategies, uh, investing, taxes, finance in general. Um, just to kind of go over a, a history of, of how I started and how I got to where I am today, which is uh, 35 years old and I've been retired for a couple years now. Um, yeah, I started saving right out of college. Uh, I've saved probably half my income in the early years. Uh, that As we got raises, that increased to you know, 60 or 70, 75% savings rate. Um, I've been a, a passive index fund investor um, almost my entire investing career. Uh, so, you know, we're talking low cost uh, Vanguard index funds here primarily. Um, and and we live in Raleigh, North Carolina. Uh, so it's a low to moderate cost of living, especially compared to uh, New York, New York City, uh, Silicon Valley, San Jose, California areas, uh, pretty modest housing prices out here. So that's, you know, we have a paid off house now. Um, uh, just in the last year we paid off our house after having a small mortgage on it for a while. Um, so that's, uh, we have three kids. That's another thing. Um, you know, it, it's, it is possible to retire early, even if you have kids. Um, it's, it's obviously more challenging. Kids do present challenges and can have unexpected needs, but we've been fortunate to have three healthy, relatively normal children um so great tax benefits you uh you point this out quite a few times on your site uh the little the little ones are are nice for uh reducing your taxes as well yeah i think i, I think i've calculated it was something like fifty five hundred dollars per year in tax benefits uh just just on federal income taxes and so when you look at the cost of it whatever they cost per year minus fifty five hundred dollars is actually the you know the net cost of children 
so that's that's something to keep in mind when you know people say, well, it's impossible to ever retire early if you have kids because they're so extremely expensive. Yeah, maybe, but you know, are you also including things like you're doing different things during the day that may be cheaper with kids? Right, uh, exactly. Yeah, you're not spending so, a bunch so, of money on booze and <laughs> partying and stuff. Yeah, I mean, yeah, and, and the booze that you do drink is going to be at, probably at home, more likely, or at, at other other parents' houses, hanging out with the kids, and and uh, you know, a, a six pack of, of nice beer or a bottle of whiskey or something is is uh, the price of a shot or a single beer exactly uh, at the bar. So yeah, so, so you guys have been. It seems like you've been pretty good with money your entire lives, though, because uh, if I'm correct in saying this, you guys left your left university with a positive net worth, whereas a lot of people, you know, sometimes are leaving with six, six figures in debt. Um, so, uh, could you talk just a little bit about that and like, you know, how, sort of how you were able to do that when everyone else is probably just racking up a bunch of loans? Yeah, sure. So we, we had a, a slightly positive net worth. Um, and, and part of that was luck and part of that was, um, being smart and working hard, uh, during college and, and making, you know, getting in the right, make, taking the right steps to get to that point. Um, we did we did take on student loan debt um, during college, and it, it was very favorable interest rates. And we still actually have um, some of that debt today at 0.75 percent interest rate. And, and we um, never intend on paying it off anytime soon because I will take as much debt as anyone will give me at 0.75 percent interest rate. Absolutely, uh, because yeah, I mean you can invest it in treasuries and get double that yield or triple it. So. Um, it's an excellent arbitrage opportunity if you can find a good interest rate out there. Uh, but but during college, we we spent um, you know we we spent carefully. Uh, we we actually bought a place in college instead of renting a place because it's in North Carolina. It's it's significantly cheaper to buy than it is to rent. Many times um, that's not always true everywhere, and not always true uh, even locally. But for us, it was cheaper to buy a place instead of rent. Um, we bought at the bottom of the market in 2001 and ended up selling it, doing pretty well uh, in terms of gains after making some DIY improvements uh, around 2005, I believe. So we made a little bit, uh, I mean, a, a few ten thousands of dollars um, off of this real estate transaction. Um, and so, you know, that, that kind of gave us a boost going into um, our, our post-college years and starting out working. And so... Um, I think that real estate transaction, deciding to buy instead of rent, certainly gave us a, a head start um, on that path to net worth creation. And and I and I think if you, you know, if you go back to where we were at in college, even back then we were thinking um, long term net worth growth. I didn't really have any idea in my mind about early retirement, uh, or even really like a concrete concept of how to grow my net worth or what that even means. But it was just. I knew at the time it was it was cheaper to pay a mortgage and maintain your your property your own property and pay taxes on your property instead of uh, paying rent and we could also be in a nicer place that you know we don't have a college slum landlord um, renting out to us we're actually in our own place and we can you know it can be nice if we want it to be um, and we also had um, jobs off and on during college uh, I, I I had progressively more um, I guess I'd say jobs that were oriented towards my college major so that they tended to pay better than just washing dishes or being a, a waiter somewhere. Um, uh, research engineer, uh, te- teacher assistant in, in my discipline. Um, I did a, had a grant at one point to do research as an undergraduate. 
Um, I also got a lot of scholarships just from doing well in school. Uh, not, you know, kind of the, the things that you could do if you're reasonably smart and apply yourself and, and try hard. And uh, it, it's so a lot of those things, you know, it generated income for us during college. Um, it actually allowed us to not really need the college loans, but the rates were so good. We took them anyway because it was a financially smart decision. Nice. Uh, and then, yeah, and then once we got to graduation, um, all those, all those um, career-oriented jobs that I took on ended up helping me get a good job right out of college. So um, it just I think it's just a lot of you know, thinking about where you want to be in a few years when you're in college will certainly help pay off in terms of your financial position when you leave college as well as your career position when you're leaving college. Absolutely. That's, yeah, that's great stuff. Um, so you left college and you guys both went on to do law degrees, right? Did you, did you jump into that right away or was there some working in between? Uh, I went straight from undergrad to law school and my wife, I believe she worked for between a year, maybe a year and a half in between undergraduate and law school. Um, so we, that's another thing, you know, she did have that, that brief break between um, undergrad and law school where she did have some income there. Uh, I think that's probably how we got that loan on the investment prop on our on our um, house that we lived in. Um, so that's I, I, I can't remember the details of it. It's been 15 years now, roughly, but uh, that's that's got to be how we qualified for it. And credit was pretty easy at the time too, from what I remember. Um, I, I just remember being shocked that someone would give us a loan for seventy thousand dollars or whatever it was <laughs> back then. You know, when when we're virtually broke college students and well she, you know my wife had a job back then but yeah. uh yeah it was it's just wow this is a lot of money it's more money than i've ever seen in my life you know but yeah exactly the same thing happened to me when we uh when we moved from scotland uh back to the states uh we sold our house in scotland and i was looking in boston where we were living at the time just to th- see if i wanted to buy something there and um i was working for a scottish company remotely uh, on a month-to-month basis, my wife was back in school because she had to get her optometry degree in the states, and uh, and we got approved for like a four hundred thousand dollar loan. Um, yeah, four hundred fifty thousand dollars, something crazy, four hundred or four hundred fifty, and it was just like, are you crazy? Like my, I could be out of a job tomorrow. My wife's not working. It's just like, what are you doing? But this was, you know, this was right when the whole world was about to collapse, and <laughs> they're going to pay for all their sins. But um, yeah, I'm sure it was still even bad earlier than that. So when did you finally, you know, launch into your, your main career then? Yeah, so I, I worked in engineering, uh, transportation engineering, um, doing mostly consulting engineering for a private firm uh, with, with private and government clients. But um, so at 2004, I graduated law school in the spring and started working. Uh, we, we went on a honeymoon uh, for a week and then came back and started working um, the very next day after graduation, actually. So. Um, May 2004, started working, uh, did, did the consulting engineering thing for around six or seven years, and then spent a few years at the uh, state turnpike authority uh, building toll roads for a few years, and quit working in 2013. So a little bit less than 10 years in, you know, in my full-time career, um, plus seven or eight years of the, those random odd jobs. Um, that got progressively more uh, advanced as I went through college. Nice. Yeah, you have a great post on your site called Zero to Millionaire in 10 Years, and uh, I'll link to that in the show notes. But uh, you just lay out exactly you know, how you took your salary and your wife's salary and 
what it looked like and how what additions you made to your portfolio and how how your net worth grew from pretty much zero to what what it is now 1.5 million if uh if i think i looked at the latest uh, number on uh on, yeah on, it's on a little, little bit less than that today but yeah, at the end right. of the year, it was around 1.5 million um and we are yeah. we are we're recording this in february so there's been a lot of uh, a lot of downward pressure on the markets recently and uh, today's no different so to circle back to the that zero to millionaire post, um, yeah, it, it went viral and was all over, and I think it had a million views at uh, Business Insider. Wow, uh, they picked it up and shared it, and so I, I think it's just that it's and, and I think the reason it's it's uh, people like it is because we're not making these ridiculous six figure salaries. You know, we're not we're not we're not making like half a million dollars a year as investment bankers in New York. Um, Your household income topped out at one hundred fifty k. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, I think 141,000 earned income plus like another 9,000 in dividends. So, you know, my my income was around 70 and my wife's income was also around 70,000 at at our peak. Um the the most that we ever made. Uh we started working, I think I earned 48,000 and back in 04, my wife was I think at 38,000. It's in the the article that you you'll see on this post, but um so you know, we started out working 80 you know, eighty thousand, ninety thousand dollars worked our way up, ended up at one hundred fifty thousand dollars combined household income. Um, lots of people earn that much just one person right, uh, right. in a professional career, and and so to say, well, we can't do it because we only earn average middle class salaries, middle class college degree holder salaries. Um, yeah, you know, you can do it. You got to make sacrifices at some point, but, um, just wanted to throw that out there that, you know, we never had the, the big dot com IT tech salaries or investment banking salaries or, or attorney salaries for that matter. All right. Absolutely. So do you think your success just comes simply from your savings rate and making those lifestyle choices, uh, that allowed you to have such a high savings rate? Is that, is that what you, you would say? Cause you know, you said, you you did a little bit of real estate investing early on. You then had a you know a business, so you're sort of entrepreneurial at sometimes. Uh, but you know, looking at this this you know section of the spreadsheet that you put into this post, it just seems like you're really just pumping a ton of your uh, earnings back into your investments. So is that is that what you would consider your biggest reason for success? Yeah, I would. I mean, I would say you know smart moves early on during college and right after in terms of starting the business in real estate that helped is probably you know eight ten percent maybe of our total net worth and obviously that money was early, in the market early so it was invested longer um, but but I, I think I think probably half or more of our net worth is from actual savings put into investments and not you know not long term growth because we're only talking about. Um, 10 years or so for this money to actually grow. So, I mean, yeah, I think it's just, we were saving half or more of our income. It's, it's, it's unfortunately it's, it's not magic. There's no way to, to get around it. Um, in terms of, um, finding some secret strategy to success, it really just comes down to, uh, spending less than you make and investing whatever you have left each month. And the, the more, the higher your savings rate, the faster you will have enough invested, to support yourself to live off of indefinitely. Oh, that's great. Yeah, and then you can see why it was such a you know a viral hit. Just because yeah, it's, there's nothing there's nothing in the story that people say. Oh, I couldn't do that. Um, you know, you're just persistent and patient, and it's definitely paid off. So, um, 
Can you talk a little bit about you know the end of your career? How did how did you decide to finally call it quits, and what was the transition like? Yeah, um, well, it was sort of a bittersweet ending. Um, we had originally had planned on maybe working another year or two uh, past when I quit working, um, but I I um, I worked for the the Turnpike Authority um, here in Raleigh. It's a state state agency, but it's sort of um, we didn't have any state government. Um, employment rights, like like most state employees have, so we were pretty much at will, and they exercised that clause to um, <laughs> get rid of about a, a quarter of the staff at our uh, Turnpike Authority. Um, so I just I, I walked in one morning, and the boss man said, um, "Hey, pack your stuff. Here's your dismissal notice, and we'll escort you out the door." So um, it was, yeah, it was a uh, um, not completely unexpected because during during the weekend I saw a coworker got let go the previous Friday, and so I kind of was like on notice that you know Monday morning may maybe a very interesting morning for me, and yeah when I saw the boss man walk in the door I was like oh this is probably not good news, um, so you know I packed my stuff up um, walked out got in my car and was on the ten minute drive home I was like huh what now you know what do I, what do, what am I what am I doing? You know, what am I, what, what's next for me? Um, so I called my wife and said, Hey, I got let go by the way. Um, I'll talk to you tonight about it. And, uh, I went home and I sat down and I started thinking like, you know, I think we're good. I, I think we're, we're 95% already. Let me check my spreadsheet. Let me go over my, my plan that I already had written out. Um, and so, yeah, pretty quickly within a day, I realized I'm retired. You know, I don't need to work anymore. We're financially independent. My wife doesn't need to work anymore. Um, she can obviously plan her strategy to exit a little bit better than than my strategy. But um, How did and it I would did it feel good or did it feel were you apprehensive a bit or was it like um, did you get excited by the prospect of it once you realized that you were you were there and just gonna chill out from now on or yeah what was what was it, what were the feelings like? You know, it, it's weird just because we I didn't plan on – the timing of it was weird. And so I think the first six months, it was still a little bit surreal. It was a little bit like, is, is this really where we are? You know, are we really – am I going to get bored with this or, or decide to go back, work somewhere, and then leave on my own terms later um, just just because, just because that's what, how I want to go out of the working world? Um, so it was a little bit like – I don't know. I having one foot out the door, but but like a, a small pinky toe still sticking in the door to right. to see you know what am I actually going to do? Um, but you know, as that time period, as that time went on, the the first six months or so, I was, I was getting into that decompression, relaxation, um, in, enjoying life a lot more, um, understanding you know, getting comfortable with yes, you know, we have money in the bank, we can live off of it. Uh, my wife, she was planning on leaving very soon after, and this was 2013. So she was thinking about leaving, you know, at the end of 2013, beginning of 2014. And, uh, I guess we can talk about her, her, her work right yeah, now. Yeah, I really want to, uh, she has a very similar situation yes. as I'm in. So I'm excited to hear more about it. And I know there's been some recent developments. So yeah, please, uh, tell us a little bit about how your wife has tried to retire. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm so excited because it's, this, this is kind of like the, I guess, I guess a good, good final chapter in her career. Um, so it was, yeah, it was late 2013 and, you know, she's thinking about pulling the plug in 2013. Um, but, but she's, so she gets a bonus in the spring in 2014. She knows it's going to happen. 
Um, I think it was really big. Like I think she got like a $5,000 bonus and maybe a five or $10,000 raise or something. Cause they really wanted to keep her. And she'd been, you know, kind of hinting in, in late 2013, Hey, I'm not going to be here forever. Um, might be retiring pretty soon. Um, you know, so, so anyway, they, I think they hooked her up to keep her on board. Um, so in 2014, you know, she gets another four weeks of vacation time at the beginning of 2014, she gets the, the fat bonus and raise and, um, and she asks for her, her three month sabbatical paid sabbatical that her company offers in 2014 for the summer. So we so she can spend the summer hanging out with the kids and we can go travel some, uh, for a month or so or something like that. Um, they don't give her the full month off, but they give her, I mean, the full three months, but they do give her five weeks, uh, fully paid time off as a mini sabbatical with the promise that she'll get, uh, her full sabbatical in 2015 and in, in the following year to kind of string her along, keep her on board as long as they can. Right. Um, so, you know, she took the whole, she took off uh, half the summer in 2014. We went to Canada for a few weeks, um, with the two year old and our other kids. And so, that was a, an adventure. Um, but then she, so she, she went back to work, um, at, at the, the end of the summer in 2014, um, kind of was like, okay, I can work until the spring, see what happens, maybe quit, maybe not, maybe get my sabbatical next year. She continued in 2015, um, you know, got another, um, another bonus and a raise in the beginning of 2015, um, immediately put in her request for her, her, her official sabbatical, the three months off. Um, got that approved. So we spent, um, she spent the whole summer, almost the whole summer in 2015, not working and getting paid. Um, and you guys went to travel around Mexico, right? We, yeah, we spent, uh, seven and a half weeks traveling around Mexico, um, with our three kids, which was, a an adventure again, but, uh, it was easier with, with a three-year-old than with a two-year-old, much easier. And, and it was a lot slower paced. So that was a, you know, I know you're a fan of slow travel and, and so are we, it would have been very difficult to do any kind of fast paced travel, um, with a three-year-old and have a good time. Um, so that was, that was pretty awesome. Um, she, my wife went back to work in August, um, and was kind of like, I'll just take it week by week. And, uh, she put in her notice to act, she put in a resignation letter in September and said, that's it. Peace out, yo, I'm gone. <laughs> um, and they came back and said, well, what can we do to keep you on here? And, and she, she had fully intended to quit and was, you know, it was her official resignation letter. She was out the door and, uh, and then, so they offered her, um, working from home four ish days per week, um, with, you know, the understanding that as long as the work gets done, it doesn't really matter how many hours she actually puts in. Um, so, so she, she's like, okay, I, I'll, I'll give this a shot now, but I'm still planning on leaving. So just, just wanted to, you know, that employer, I'm not going to stick around too long. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so the last, so we're in February right now, as this is being recorded, um, since September, uh, I guess, what is that? Four months. Um, she's for the past six months, actually almost six months now. Um, she's been working two, three, sometimes four days a week, um, burning up her vacation time. Um, she hasn't worked. I don't think for the past two weeks, we've been out of, out of the country on vacation for a while now. Um, but, but she's just been working a very small amount and working from home. So it's, it's very, very flexible in terms of what she's been able to do, um, and still get paid full time for, for her work. Um, so for the past six months, it's been kind of like semi-retirement in terms of hours per week and flexibility. Um, 
but she she did just recently put in her her notice to uh, resign again, <laughs> and uh, to today she's she's working here from home, um, and tomorrow is her last day. No so, kidding. Well, so, congratulations. Yeah. Thanks. I, I will do that. Um, so she is. It's early February. Um, her last day will be um, tomorrow, and and she's. I think she's excited, but also ambivalent. Just you know uncertain of the future, that sort of thing. So yeah. I, I think she'll have a little bit of an adjustment just to get used to the, the full early retired life here. But, but she's had, you know, she's had a good um, introduction to it just from the sabbaticals over the past few years and the, the last six months of um, lots of three to five day weekends and multi-week periods of not working here and there. That's amazing. So, uh, and that's impressive. She was able to follow through with it. Cause like I, my, my employers definitely just sucked me in to stay in for for a while now because it's it just like yeah i'm this i'm in the same sort of situation i just as long as the work gets done it's fine i work on another continent from every other employee that i work with every other colleague is in america and i'm here in scotland so it's like full autonomy and full flexibility and i'm still doing work that i enjoy and it's like well and i'm, I'm getting paid a full u.s salary um so it's it's i just really struggle to see when i'm gonna actually call it quits uh just because it you know i'm actually really enjoying myself so it's impressive that she was able to get into such an amazing situation and then still have the you know the ability and the drive to call it quits so yeah i i applaud her for that and for working her way into such an amazing situation yeah it's it's been i mean kind of unexpected the situation that she ended up in um and I think to get to that point and to actually pull the plug, I mean, for her, it was a, a huge relief. She didn't actually tell me before she put in her notice the second time she would, but it had been stressing her out, just not knowing that date, not having any particular date to look forward to, but knowing that she's planning on leaving very soon. So she just, you know, composed the email and hovered over the send button for a second and, and clicked it and, mm-hmm. you know, and then forwarded the email to me and said, Hey, look what I did. Um, so, which is fine. I mean, I've, you know, we're fine financially. Um, it's, we don't spend that much money. So if we ever do have to go back to work, it really won't be that hard to find something with our backgrounds and, and college education that will produce some kind of income that will probably cover our living expenses, even much less than full time. Sure. Uh, so, yeah. And it's, so it's, you know, it's a, it's a kind of a, um, win-win situation with a very little downside risk of running out of money. Um, you know, even if, even if we do take a big hit to our portfolio and it goes down by half or more, I mean, we're not going to have to go get a job overnight. Um, so, so there's a lot of flexibility and I, I don't think jobs are, are bad necessarily. I think a lot of the, a lot of small parts of jobs are bad. The, the, the deadlines, the schedules, the stress, the, the, the coworkers that are difficult, um, bosses or employees that are difficult, policies, um, all the workplace BS. I mean, that's the not fun stuff. Commuting. I mean, those those are all things that suck. Yeah. But then, but then when you, I don't know how else to say it besides it sucks. Um, no one likes those things. Um, but when you get rid of the commute and you get rid of, you know, when you realize that hey, you don't have to keep this job if you don't like it. You can ignore annoying coworkers. You can ignore some of that some of that stress. You can kind of tell your employer, you know, I, I want to help out, but I'm I'm in the position where I don't really want to do X or Y or Z anymore. Um, can we renegotiate our terms? Absolutely. Uh, 
That's been I the think, best part of the whole journey for me, actually, is just yeah, accidentally, just, just sort of like your wife, I guess. I don't think she planned to work herself into that amazing situation, but it just sort of happens, and then you realize, whoa, this is this is amazing. You can just get rid of everything that you hate about something and keep only the good parts, and, and yet they're still trying to you know make you even happier by giving you raises and things, so. Yeah, and it's, you know, she's been planning to quit work for, you know, in the next three months, but she's been planning to quit for three months, the last two and a half years. Um, and I, and I would tell people, and I, I, you know, I bet people probably thought I was full of crap when on my blog, I'm like, yeah, she's going to quit in the next three months or three to six months. And because I mean, we really did think that, you know, she was going to hit that next milestone that, you know, the next bonus or the sabbatical or whatever. And then she would just quit. Um, and you know, then she did quit and then, then six more months she worked and, <laughs> and now I'm, I'm, you know, we'll, we'll know when this goes live and it's broadcasted, but I'm like 99.9% sure she's done. This is it. You know, tomorrow's her last day. But, um, but I, you know, who knows? They may call back and say, can you contract 10 hours a week and we'll pay you a lot of money. And, um, she may do it and she may not. Um, that's, that's really, you know, really up to her and, and whatever, um, whatever she wants to do whenever that, that opportunity uh, comes up, just because I don't, I don't think that, you know, you don't have to define yourself as, I'm retired and I can never, ever, ever work or one hour of paid employment equals I'm not retired. Um, okay. Yeah. Whatever. I mean, it's just a label. It's pretty much, I like to think of it as more of like creating that lifestyle that you want. And if, if working a little bit and doing something, um, maybe not meaningful, but something that's engaging and intellectually stimulating, uh, if that's what you want to do and it happens to pay money, you know, that's cool. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, is there anything uh, about early retirement that surprised you over the last couple of years? Um, I mean, I, I'd thought about it and read about it a lot leading up to early retirement. So not, not too much that surprised me. I mean, I, I guess one thing that surprised me was that, you know, that initial six month decompression period, I thought I was going to be different and just immediately jump into it. And it really did take about six months to, you know, get into the groove and just like, all right, I can just do nothing all day and it's cool. Nobody's going to, nobody cares. I don't have anybody to answer to. Um, getting into that kind of feeling where, I mean, I still do stuff during the day. I'm still productive to some extent, but um, just agreeing to let yourself not have to do anything and not feel like, um, you know, if, if you, if you aren't working on something that it's okay. Um, so that was a little bit surprising to me, but I mean, I, th I think it's pretty well known and documented that most people go through that period. Um, right. and a few you, months. And you yeah. spent less in, you've been spending less in the last two years of retirement than you probably, than you expected. Is that right too? Uh, yeah, a little bit. Um, we, we have, I think we've underrun our budget by about $3,000 per year on average. Um, in, in the last two years, um, and, and we just to throw some concrete numbers out there, we budget around, we have budgeted around thirty two thousand per year um, for spending, and that doesn't include a mortgage, which we did have during the first year, but paid off during the second year. But um, so thirty two thousand dollars per year, um, we spent a little bit over that the first year in twenty fourteen uh, because we did a major house renovation project. Um, but you know, I was able to kind of bird dog it the entire time work with the contractor, make sure I'm, you know, I'm getting a good deal, get what I'm paying for, shop around, get a good guy. 
So I think being retired certainly helped out and probably saved me a few thousand dollars on that. Um, so we spent slightly over 32000 2014. We spent, I think, twenty four, twenty five thousand in 2015. Um, and that's in spite of going on a seven and a half week trip through Mexico. That's um, amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And with, with five, with five people in the family, um, part of that's travel hacking, you know, you're, you're done with that. The, the signing up for credit cards, getting sign up bonuses, getting free flights, getting free hotels. Um, so we, we did all that and cut the trip. I think we spent 4,500 on the trip. It would have been easily been 9,000 or more with, without that, that travel, that travel hacking, that's which so was good. really just, you know, really just a couple of credit card signups, not anything crazy ridiculous. I mean, literally a few credit card signups translated into $4,500 in travel savings. Yeah, that's so good. I'm the same. I don't do anything crazy. I don't want to, you know, get in bad in the bad books with some banks and ruin future opportunities. So yeah, I just take it easy a couple cards a year and it just, it's amazing how much it, it actually saves you and travels such a big part of our lives, but such a small part of our budget. So, yeah. And, and we, we, uh, we, we had traditionally had budgeted 5,500 per year, you know, in cash. Um, but, but for 2014, 2015, I think in 2015, we busted that budget a little bit. Um, uh, but we, I think we also went on two weeks worth of cruises and, you know, seven and a half weeks in Mexico. Um, uh, so, I don't know how much we spent, probably six or $7,000 on travel. Uh, still a very, very modest amount. If, if I told someone how much, we, how much we traveled and explained how much we spent, um, I imagine they would say, well, that's clearly impossible. Right. Uh, but it's, you know, it's just shopping, smart, um, credit card, travel hacking, whatever you want to call it, um, going into off-season for the cruises, for example, um, finding good deals in general, uh, making the money go further by traveling to places where the uh, currency is relatively weak, like Mexico or everywhere else in the world right now in 2016. Right. Uh, so, so yeah, it's, it's, uh, we're definitely spending less than I thought we would. Um, and you're going to, you're planning to ramp up a bit. Uh, I think I read a recent post yeah. saying that you're planning on trying to increase that in 2016. Yeah, so so we're just where we are financially. I mean, our our portfolio has grown enough to the point where um, we we're kind of. I want to try to spend about four percent per year of our portfolio, and that that will fluctuate up or down. I mean, the, the dollar amount will fluctuate up or down as our portfolio value increases or decreases. Um, so so in essence, you know, if we have uh, one point two million dollars. Um, in, in investments that, that aren't, aren't allocated to anything, let's just say $1.2 million, I want to spend about 4% of that, so $48,000 per year. Um, we've not been spending anywhere near that much, so I'm, I'm try, I set a budget of $40,000 for, for 2016. Um, so we're, we're, I'm not sure we're ever going to spend that much, but um, I'm at least increasing the budget intentionally with the goal being to say, Justin, it's okay to spend more money. Are there any areas here where where we can get more value out of things, more value out of life, have more fun, do more things, um, and focus the money on those areas that do actually bring more value, more fun, more enjoyment? Um, and I, I believe the categories that received the highest increases were uh, travel, uh, entertainment, and there might be one other one, but those are the big ones. Um, Travel and entertainment, maybe electronics. I don't. I don't know. But, um, but essentially, 
those disc- those purely discretionary fund categories. Um, otherwise, I mean, we're spending um, plenty of money in the kind of the the cost of living and the required areas, but uh, but we're really focused on on trying to do more fun stuff. Um, but but the, the weird thing is like. This summer, we're thinking about just staying at home because we've been traveling the past two summers. It's been busy, and, and the kids just, you know, they just want to hang out, go visit their friends, go to the swimming pool, go to the park, go to summer camp. You know, the, the like the traditional things that most kids do during the, the summer. Um, so, you know, we, I think that's fair that at some point we need to just chill out, take it easy for a summer, relax, um, which we do a lot while we are traveling, but also – it's not, you know, it's not at home. It's, it's different. So yeah. I'm excited so to I see how you do. Cause yeah, it's, it, <laughs> old habits really die hard. It's something that I've found as well. It's like, um, since I'm still working, that's all just bonus income that I didn't expect to have. So it's like, all right, well let's, let's try to let loose and just go crazy for a year. And, you know, we did the same, we traveled all across Southeast Asia, uh, early 2015. And then we did a lot of trips in Europe and, uh, we rented a, uh, an apartment right in the center of Edinburgh so we can walk to everything and just like, you know, more expensive than we probably would have, uh, you know, earlier in the journey. And, you know, it felt like we were just going crazy. We we're eating out more because we were close to all these restaurants we wanted to try. And it's just like, it felt like we were going nuts, but then it, it really barely moved the needle at all. Cause you know, all the other, the big things are taken care of and we're not doing crazy stupid things like having a big car payment or something like that so it's it uh, i'm looking forward to seeing how your uh, forty thousand goes <laughs> yeah and and it's i mean exactly what you're talking about like we could easily afford to go on a you know year-long around the world trip but our real constraint right now is just the kids are in school for eight or nine months a year um and and that's something you know we've looked at we could homeschool and then go on a trip around the world and I, you know, I think there's pros and cons and it could be really hectic for us. Um, but that's something that, you know, a few years down the road, we'll certainly have that financial flexibility to say, okay, this is the year. Let's do it. Let's go around the world. Let's do this big, awesome trip, you know, that, that we'll never forget ever. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it's, we can't do it on 40,000 per year. Uh, it may be 60,000 or 70,000. I have no idea. I mean, I'm just making numbers up here, but, um, it, it may cost more money than, than, than what we would budget typically in one year. And, and that's okay. I mean, if, if like we're underspending now, um, it's okay to spend more in one year and less than another year. I'm, I'm not, you know, I'm not strictly sticking to any particular number as long as, you know, on average overall, we're, we're kind of hitting this, this target of 4% or so of the annual portfolio value. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I think it's a great exercise to do it. It, it, like at least for us, like like I said, we traveled a ton in 2015, and we actually found that we traveled too much. It was we stopped the excitement of the trips wasn't as great, the enjoyment wasn't as great. You were just you know a bit tired and tired of seeing the same sorts of things in each of the cities you were in. And we realized, all right, we you know we thought we wanted to travel a ton, but actually maybe we just only want to take a few trips a year so that we actually enjoy them and. Um, I think I think that's great. Yeah, to to plan for those types of years where you are you're like, okay, I'm going to spend more, and then that way you realize that hey, actually, maybe it doesn't actually make me happier. So rather than feeling deprived, like oh, I wish I could spend sixty thousand this year and travel, you do it once, you realize it's not that great, and then when you get back down to thirty thousand, you're like, oh yeah, this is much better. <laughs> 
Now this one, this is going to come out of left field to you. Um, I was uh, just reading a bit about your past work history and it seems like we had the same job when we were 16 years old. Um, Jersey Mike subs. <laughs> Jersey Mike subs. Yeah, man. Yeah, man. So yeah, I, I went to high school down in North Carolina. I actually moved from Pittsburgh to just north of Charlotte when I was in eighth grade. Um, okay. so yeah, the Jersey in, uh, Mooresville, North Carolina. I was, uh, I was employee there for, I don't know, most of high school, I think a, a lot of high school anyway. Um, so just to see <laughs> how fresh that is in your mind, uh, do you remember what the number four sub was? I was I was thinking as you were, you were saying it. I believe number three is like ham, ham maybe. And cheese. Yeah, ham and cheese. Um, four was that like capicolo and oh, something? You got it, man. Yeah, I got. got okay, this is this is like wasted space in my brain. This is seven. <laughs> Uh, this is this is uh, 19 years ago. Yeah. Um, wow. Okay. <laughs> well yeah, done, I, man. Yeah, that's. Uh, I figured number four would be a bit difficult. It's not like, you know, it's not like a number 17, which. Uh, number 17. I, I knew number 17. Number 17. No one forget number 17. It means steak and cheese. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Right, so uh, it wasn't uh, as popular as number 17, but uh, uh, it was one of my favorites. So I was like, I'm gonna see if I can get him on on the number four. That is that is awesome, dude. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody well, else in the audience will care, but I, this is, this is providing me a lot of entertainment. I haven't been in a Jersey Mike's, uh, I don't think, since I worked there, uh, just because I ate plenty of free food while yeah. I was there. And uh, yeah, that's that's pretty that's pretty wild, things that you remember after almost 20 years. <laughs> that's good, man. So, uh, so yeah, we're getting near the end, and uh, I always ask my guests, you know, if you had one piece of advice for somebody who's on the path to financial independence, what would it be? Huh. Well, that's tough. There's, there's lots of things. Um, maybe if I can give two pieces of advice oh, yeah, uh, yeah, give two. and, and this might be one piece of advice to younger people and one piece of advice to kind of the people that are on the path already to financial independence. Um, for young people, obviously, um, save early and save often, uh, figuring out becoming a master of investments and, Knowing exactly where you're going to be 10 or 20 years out and understanding all that is uh, largely irrelevant. Uh, just start saving money when you are young and figure out how to invest it as you go along. Figure out the planning aspects of it and how much you need to save and your budget and your withdrawal rates and all that. Um, that's a lot easier to figure out later in the game. Um, e even tax strategy. Don't worry too much about tax planning today, start saving today and then kind of get smarter at tax planning, you know, as you learn more, as you go along. Um, but saving early and saving often is, it really is the only piece of magic that you can, you can use to, uh, get to financial independence at, at a fairly early age. Um, and the, the, the piece of advice to the, the kind of the middle of the, the path people that are, have started already and understand savings and investments and, the importance of all that, um, and just stick with it. Uh, perseverance, you know, you may see your peers out there doing different things than you are doing in terms of lifestyle choices and spending decisions. Um, make your own choices, stick with your plan. If, if you, you know, if early retirement and financial independence is a key goal of yours, stick with those plans and, and do what you want to do for yourself because you want to do them and not because, you're buckling to peer pressure of, well, everyone else is buying a Mercedes. Everyone else is having a kid. Everyone else is buying a big house. 
everyone else is going on, you know, these crazy expensive vacations to resorts in Tahiti. Um, just keep doing whatever you enjoy doing. And, and maybe that does include fancy cars and vacations in Tahiti. And that's just part of your spending plan. And that's okay too. But do what you want to do because you want to do it and, and stick with your plan, persevere uh, until you get to your end goal. Um, and I think it's, you know, it can be tough when you get part of the way there and everyone else is enjoying their higher salaries and their careers um, and you're still kind of you know, on that path to saving. But another five or ten years later, you'll be at your goal, possibly in your 20, late 20s, 30s, maybe 40s. You've hit your goal. You've pretty much done something that other people do in their 60s, but you've done it two or three decades earlier. Um, it's pretty cool. It's a good accomplishment. I mean, it's something that, you know, even if you keep working for a while, it's something that you've got that money in your back pocket that you can pretty much name your terms of employment wherever you go in life, whatever you want to do, um, however many hours per, per week you want to work, um, flexible. Everything can be flexible when you don't need a job. It's, it's a good spot to be in. And even if you're halfway there, I mean, you, you have that ability to say, this job sucks. You can shove it. I'm going to walk away and do something else for a year and then come back and, you know, find a new job, new employer somewhere else. Um, there, there's lots of advantages to financial independence when you're only halfway there. Um, so just, you know, kind of persevere when you can make the money, keep saving, but also remember that, you know, that money in your pocket is, is, is a powerful tool that you can use, um, to help you design that lifestyle that you want to have. Absolutely. Two two great pieces of advice. Yeah, you it, you see people that are just paralyzed by fear to start investing and it's like, well, yeah, you even if you make a mistake and you lose half of what you put in, you know, what if you put in 10,000 that you just you're just out 5,000, you know, you have so little money at that stage anyway that yeah, you just just get started and and then learn as you go. That's great advice and then yeah, absolutely using the power that financial independence or even being 50% of the way to financial independence gives you. Uh, yeah, using that to your advantage and start making that lifestyle you want now is is awesome. So, Justin, thank you so much for uh, for joining me. This has been a lot of fun. And uh, if uh, people want to find you, should they just go to rootofgood.com and uh, send you an email from there? Or? Yeah, um, rootofgood.com. That's the, the blog name. Um, there's a contact form on there. Shoot me an email through there. Um, I'm on Twitter. I'm on Facebook. Um, I can't remember the names for those things. I think right. of, I'll link to them on the, I'll link or, them in the show notes. Yeah. Check, check below the uh, podcast here. There'll be links for it. And, um, yeah, stop by and say hi. Awesome. Well, thanks again, Justin. I really appreciate it. And hopefully talk to you soon. All right. Thanks a lot. All right. Bye. Finance.